How's it, everybody? Thanks for listening. In this inaugural podcast episode of Let's Talk Sports, we talk about what we missed the most in this absence of sports action, the latest on Marcus Mariota and Tua Tongo-Vailoa, plus the impact of the recent NCAA spring sports eligibility announcement, and best and worst of the sports week. This is our first one, so please bear with us, and if you have any questions or topic ideas, feel free to hit us up on Twitter, at Kanoa Leahy or at Jordan Helly. Special shout out to all the medical workers and first responders out there. Thank you for all you have done and continue to do. All right, here's the pod. Enjoy. All right, here we are. Kanoa, Jordan, both in the house, well, in separate houses, uh, practicing very appropriate social distancing here. Uh, but we've been wanting to do this for some time, uh, do a podcast version of our Let's Talk Sports uh, radio show. And so I guess the circumstances have forced our hand a little bit. Uh, Jordan, how you been, man? It's It's been a minute, as the kids say. Yeah, been all right. Been all right. Uh, trying to keep as normal a routine as possible while sheltering in place while social distancing um so it's it's nothing like what we're used to but uh you know i think it's uh it's kind of nice to get this back up and going because the one thing that i could count on monday through friday was uh was seeing your face uh at the radio studio but they've kind of locked us out for now um so this is uh this is what we got to do and i feel like we are setting a good example because we are doing this from separate locations uh as cdc recommends so this uh, i feel like we're we're often off to a good start Exactly. Just uh, coping with uh, what my wife also refers to me as being a non-essential member of the working community. So that's uh, that's the adjustment <laughs> I'm making here. Uh, but it's good to be talking with you again. And uh, yes, we are excited about this first edition of our Let's Talk Sports podcast. So uh, let's get right to it. We start off with the tip off here on the show. Uh, and some of what I have been observing here in this hiatus, if you will, and this quarantine period uh, social media has been stepping up, man. Uh, the comedy that has come out of this, the dare I say coronavirus related comedy has been pretty impressive, I must say, and has gone a, a sufficient way in maintaining a level of sanity for me. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I got to say, man, because everybody's relegated to their homes, right? I mean, nightly shows aren't even in their studios. Uh, you see so much social media content, even the daily sports shows like everybody's zooming in or facetiming in or however they're doing it uh so everybody's kind of doing their part but uh i i don't know what we do without social media and i, I get it like you know we, a lot of people are kind of going old school right we're reading a lot of books we're doing a lot of puzzles uh things of that nature but um social media has been a nice respite at times uh it's also been the cesspool that it can be at times uh but i think it has brought a nice balance and uh at least we can find a little levity uh i think in these trying times uh, and so some of the lines that uh, some of the sports jokes related to this whole thing that have stood out to me, uh, and I guess it's safe to go this route now because Kevin Durant officially uh, does not have uh, the coronavirus symptoms anymore, as was reported uh, by some of the media relations people from uh, the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, KD tested at the time earlier positive for the coronavirus, and the line was, he always joins the front runner. <laughs> I mean, come on. That yeah, he one, got, that's, out, he that's got ahead of it. That, he got out ahead of it. <laughs> <laughs> he always tried to jump on the winning team, man. I, I just, I, that's, that's, a, that's an MO, I guess. Uh, you had the headlines in New York City. And of course, New York City papers and publications, they're brutal. Uh, James Dolan, the owner of the Knicks, uh, he tested positive 
for the coronavirus. Uh, and some of the headlines in NYC were that the coronavirus had actually contracted James Dolan. Or uh, or Trevor Noah on The Daily Show, uh, he posted something. He says, uh, we found out that four Brooklyn Nets players, including Kevin Durant, have coronavirus. So he says, now the Nets have coronavirus. The Jazz have coronavirus. The Pistons have coronavirus. It's going around to all the NBA teams except the Knicks, because not even the coronavirus wants to play for the Knicks. Ooh. Man, the the Knicks the Knicks can't even catch a break, right? Like they 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 can't even they can't even they're still the butt end of a joke, and their owner is still the one that just gets all the uh, the tomatoes thrown at him, even in so even in the uh, the virtual world. That's right. It was a little weird because we're we're recording this inaugural episode on April first, so it's April Fool's Day, and I don't know if you had been exposed to any form of pranking or if you had performed any level of pranking here on this day. Uh, I think it was frowned upon considering the circumstances, uh, for sure. But uh, did you see any April Fools type stuff out there? Uh, you know, I, I it was kind of funny because I, I I watched some old ones. Right, people people were putting clips on social media of like old April Fools because I don't know how many people were willing to go out on that limb today. Uh, in 2020, uh, you know, I even I, I, and I had read an article earlier. I think Google had even foregone their usual April Fool's type of deal. They, they do their daily thing when you go to the, the Google homepage. But I, I think even Google had sat this one out. Um, so there were a few out there. I did see some 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 videos of some folks uh, at home uh, posting like uh, videos of, of governors of certain states basically saying, uh, that all kids were going to have to repeat school. Everybody was going to have to repeat the school year, uh, and parents recording their kids' reaction, uh, which seemed just a little cruel, but really funny when you see some of these videos. <laughs> yeah, this is the one time, the one year, the one set of circumstances that on April Fool's, if somebody wanted to TP my house, I'd be all for it. Like, thank you. Thank you for the blessing bestowed on us. Uh, all this toilet paper that's all over the house. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to run out there, grab it, uh, repackage it. Heck, that, those are commodities now, right? I mean, toilet paper is the same <laughs> as oil and gold and silver. Uh, I, I think it's going to be traded on the market pretty soon. Yeah, forget Bitcoin, man. It's all about Charmin right now. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's get into uh, some of the headlines that we missed here. Uh, we had to bail out from the studio. A studio shut down at Pacific Media Group. Uh, we have been out of there for about a week and a half there and about now. So uh, as we take a look here, though, at some of the major stories that we've missed, and many of them obviously related to this pandemic and this quarantine, but the Olympics officially getting postponed and rescheduled for next summer in Japan. Uh, and this has introduced a host of issues because these elite athletes are able to calibrate their training regimen, right? They're able to basically calibrate their bodies to be at peak physical shape, which of course warrants peak physical performance come the Olympic Games. And so you have athletes like Simone Biles, the most decorated gymnast of all time, uh, suggesting now that her participation in 2021 isn't, quote, set in stone. Uh, you have what was supposed to be the debut of surfing in the Olympics, and obviously a couple of Hawaii surfers who are scheduled to participate in that. John John Florence on the men's side, Carissa Moore uh, on the women's side. Uh, and so that gets uh, postponed as well. What has been your observation of the impact of the Olympic Games? I mean, this is, it doesn't get much more globally significant than that getting postponed to next summer. 
Yeah, I think some of these big global events are the ones that uh, have the the biggest shock value, if you will. Um, you know, because you're talking about events that date back to wartime, right? I mean, we're talking about the last couple of world wars. And so when you hear events postponed or events canceled for the first time since 1945, the first time they've been canceled in peacetime, um, that I think hits a little differently than than even the NBA being postponed a little bit here, even more so than the NCAA basketball tournament being canceled. This is a, a truly global event. Uh, and, and when when you talk about the magnitude of that, just the amount of nations that would compete in the in the, the Olympic Games, the number of athletes that were going to compete in the Olympic Games, and, and who knows, right? There there are no guarantees. As you mentioned, you know, a lot of these athletes, they're they're on that four year cycle, especially in a lot of these, you know, quote unquote Olympic sports, gymnastics, things like that, where they're really gearing up for this type of deal, right? I mean, the likes of John John and Carissa Moore, um, you know, they're, they're on their usual tour year in and year out. And that's not to diminish in any way the, the fact that, hey, surfing was going to make their debut here and they were going to be able to compete for their country uh, in a different type of arena as opposed to just the, the usual tour um, on a yearly basis. But I think just the global scale of that, I think Wimbledon today, uh, announced that they were canceling that tournament. Uh, the news came out just a, a little while ago that, that the RNA is likely to cancel the British Open. Uh, some of these events that, you know, haven't been canceled since the last time we were at a world war. Um, I think it's just kind of jarring when you look at it from that global and historical perspective. Yeah. I, I think it impacts obviously the, the perception of that, right? As, as globalized as we are now as a society. Uh, that is something that, at least on the sports front, is as impactful as it gets, right? I mean, that is the one event where all of these athletes from all of these different corners and regions of the world uh, come together in, in a single place. And while there have always been concerns over, you know, terrorism and, and other types of issues, this is what makes this such an incredible experience for all of us is this is something that is so far beyond our control. It's not a, a matter of beefing up security. It's not a matter of restructuring facilities. This is something that is so far beyond our control as a human race right now. And we are just trying to do whatever we possibly can to minimize the amount of time that we have to be without this stuff. And obviously, that is one of the events. That is one of the entities in sports. It pulls together everybody around the world. And so it's, it's something that is relevant to everybody. Uh, but the thing I thought of, and I mentioned Simone Biles, I mentioned a couple of the surfers and obviously countless other athletes in general. Uh, those are the ones I think about because there is something to that. And, and, and maybe this doesn't pertain as much for surfers, right? Surfing just as a culture and as a sport. It's something that they just do all the time, right? Uh, whereas I think there are events like gymnastics. There are other events where the athletes have to finely tune their bodies in such a precise and exact way. And so Simone Biles, I found interesting in, in some of the interviews that she's given here. It was basically her saying, gosh, I was looking forward to the end of the Olympics because I've been putting in such intense training to this point. I was looking forward to August when the Olympics would be pow. And then I could kind of, you know, start to get back to normal life as I believe what a 23 year old. And, and so she is now having to uh, come to the realization of, Wow, not only am I not going to be competing in the Olympics this summer, but I'm still a year away. And so I think that psychologically, physically, that impact to me, those are the athletes that I first thought of. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you just because how how long and how much effort, uh, both physically, financially, mentally, it takes to to calibrate and get your body ready and get yourself in peak physical con- peak physical condition uh, to get ready for the Olympic Games and, and get yourself into that series, right? Whether you got to go through qualifying in your sport, get to the actual games in Tokyo. Um, it is a lot. And then also for, for some of these athletes, right? And maybe Simone Biles based off of her success four years ago, maybe not quite in that boat, but there are a lot of athletes that we, we, we don't really know yet. We haven't gotten familiar with that, that I think would have, you know, become stars at the Olympic Games. It happens every cycle. Um, and for those, for those type of individuals, you think about as well, you know, if, if they're a non revenue type of sports, uh, heck, there's a lot of money that can come from that as well, right? From, from sponsorships and, and endorsements and things like that for folks in, in, in sports such as swimming or, or some of the other less mainstream sports, if you will, uh, that you don't necessarily have NBA guys going down and, and competing in the Olympics or something like that. Those guys will be okay. Um, but for some of those other athletes, right? And, and, and I think this goes for, for a lot of people in a lot of walks of life, not just professional athletes or athletes competing at a global level. But, uh, you know, I think of some of those as well. I mean, it, it, you're putting your dreams and your, your marketability and, and quite honestly, your, your ability to cash in on, on your hard work, uh, postponed, you know, another 12 months. That, that's a lot to swallow as well for some of these, these competitors that, um, you know, had everything put on hold. One extra year is a game changer. I mean, that changes so much, uh, especially when you're talking about an event like gymnastics where, you know, you're considered over the hill when you're like 21. <laughs> you know, I mean, those, mm-hmm. once you enter your twenties, it's like, all right, you're out of your prime. And so adding a year to that for those kinds of athletes, uh, sometimes can be pretty profound. Let's continue on with some headlines. Marcus Mariota out of St. Louis School in Oregon and spent five years with the Tennessee Titans as a former number two pick in the draft. Uh, he signs a contract with the Raiders. Uh, we have been off the air since the terms were publicized, but a two-year deal, uh, $17.5 million there in about with 7.5 mil in year one and a fully guaranteed base salary. This thing is draped with incentives. Uh, we talked uh, because it w- had already been announced that he had agreed to sign with the Raiders. And so we talked a little bit about fit and the fact that he's going over there with John Gruden, a, a head coach who was gushing on him through the draft process when he was just an analyst. And when Marcus was coming out in 2015, you have a general manager, Mike Mayock, who also had Marcus Mariota basically rated as his number one quarterback when he was also an NFL draft analyst uh, with NFL Network at the time. And so these are two guys who obviously have a warmth and I think a level of admiration for Marcus Mariota. You would hope that that would add some stability or at least a level of confidence uh, in what he is going to try to do over there. But uh, what does the salary tell you? Uh, This thing, again, is incentive laced. And so it includes certain bump ups for things like if he plays in over 50% of games or if he starts X number of games. Uh, What did you make of the contract that was given to Marcus? Yeah, I think it's a pretty good one for Marcus, considering uh, the way things ended in Tennessee, the fact that uh, it was no guarantee that he'd go land a starting job someplace else uh, in the second phase of his career coming off of his rookie contract. I think they're paying him uh, pretty fairly for the market, and I think it's a pretty good deal for Marcus based on the fact that, yeah, he's not making big-time starter money, uh, but he's not making peanuts either, right? I, I, they're kind of paying him as a pretty high-profile backup to start off with. And, and as you mentioned, because of all those incentives, 
uh, that 17 and a half roughly million dollars can escalate pretty quickly. Uh, and so it's a, it's a prove it deal in a sense. And I think it's a good one for Marcus, uh, because if he does get that opportunity, not only can he help himself out financially and, and continue to, to up his, um, you know, earnings as a professional football player, but, but a guy who can also go out there and at the very least prove that he is a viable guy going forward. And I know we all have visions of him still, I think, as a starting quarterback in the NFL. And, and I do think that he's still got that in him, uh, particularly in a place that brings a lot of stability on the coaching front, on the front office front. Worst case scenario, you go out there, you give yourself a little opportunity, you go and prove that uh, you are a viable option around the league. You're a veteran, a great locker room presence, a guy that can be a viable backup for years to come. Worst case scenario, right? Uh, and best case scenario, he goes out, proves that he is a starter in this league, proves that he is a starter for the Las Vegas Raiders, as weird as that is to keep saying, uh, going forward for the long term. Because if he goes out and hits those incentives, as he goes out, and earns this contract, improves it. I don't think he needs another destination to, to use this as a springboard. I think this is him solidifying his spot in Oakland. Uh, we'll see if he gets that chance and how soon it comes. Uh, it is very much a wait and see. I think he has much of as much of a chance of eventually emerging as a starter or getting an opportunity, perhaps, uh, as a team turns to him, as was the level of odds when Ryan Tannehill joined the Tennessee Titans. I mean, it is clear that Derek Carr is the incumbent. He is going to be the guy at the start of camp whenever that occurs who is going to be the starter. He is going to have that edge, and a lot will depend on how he performs in game situations. And if things start to fall off the rails, then then obviously Marcus would uh, be a guy who they would turn to, and, and at that point he could get his shot to revive his career as a starting quarterback. But this is quite clearly a backup quarterback contract. I think that was in the cards. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. Uh, but again, I think for Marcus, it was a little bit more than just the contract, right? This wasn't a situation where he was necessarily shopping himself around going to the highest bidder. Uh, he had made it clear in certain appearances that he wanted to move further west, maybe get a little bit closer to home. Nothing better than Las Vegas, right? Uh, from the Hawaii perspective in, in terms of the travel. I'm not talking about currently under these circumstances, but under normal circumstances, the Ninth Island, he's just a, a, a nonstop flight away from home and, and his family, vice versa. Uh, and so, you know, I think for him, it was more about fit. It was more about finding a situation that just felt more comfortable. And so here he is, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Plus, you know, you see some of the mock-ups. He looks pretty good in that Raiders uh, uniform, don't you think? I agree. He looks good in silver and black. I mean, he's not a bad-looking guy. He could probably wear, like, pink polka dots and, and look True. okay. But he looks particularly good in, in the silver and black. Maybe it's just, you know, the silver and black itself kind of makes everybody look cool. That's true. It is it is a forgiving and flattering uh, jersey <laughs> scheme. Uh, I tell you, he looks a lot more normal and natural than uh, Tom Brady in that Bucks jersey. So that's cool. Oh, he's got that yeah. going for him. Yeah, and at least he's not uh, wearing any uh, uniform that's uh, going to include something that looks like the L.A. Rams' new logo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on to uh, another uh, guy with Hawaii ties uh, who is uh, looking to uh, make an impact here at the NFL level. It's uh, Tua Tonga-Vailoa out of Alabama, another St. Louis Crusader guy. He told ESPN today, again, we're recording this here on April Fool's, but he just told ESPN in an interview that he's feeling 100% physically. And I'm not sure if he's saying, you know, he just as as just a general feeling like, you know, where he's at. Uh, or if he thinks, you know, physically right now, he at 100% could go out there and play in a 
top level football game. But he used the phrase, I feel like I'm 100%. He also did not disclose which teams he may or may not be talking with or which teams have reached out to communicate with him. Uh, most projections have him as a top five guy. Most would probably specifically have him being selected by the Dolphins at the number five position. Uh, but his answer in response to that, not wanting to give anything, not wanting to reveal any card here, also gives the potential impression uh, that maybe there's another team that's outside the top five that is talking with him and uh, putting together a possible plan for draft day. Wouldn't that be exciting? Yeah, I, I, I'm curious, right? And and we're starved for anything sports related and, and the NFL oh, draft yeah. going on as scheduled. And obviously it won't look like it normally looks, but just the fact that they're going to hold it. You know, some people have some mixed feelings on that, but selfishly, right? I think a lot of us are, are looking forward to that. It's, it's not that far down on the horizon. Uh, and, and of course, looking at it from a Hawaii angle with Tua, you know, it's very curious just because, hey, Tua's not from Tua's perspective in, in terms of what he's putting out from his camp. It's great to hear that he's doing fine. I, there's no reason to believe that he isn't. What degree? We're, we're not exactly sure at this point, but it's not like teams are going to be able to really check him out on the medical as they bring him in, right? Uh, even a guy like a Cam Newton who got checked out by a doctor in Atlanta or whatever, but the teams aren't going to fully trust it until they get into the building. So it could be good or bad for Tua, right? Hey, if teams aren't able to, to examine him with their own doctors and their own medical personnel, if he isn't quite all the way ready. Hey, maybe they just got to take their leap of faith. Now, on the other hand, it could even hurt him, right? A little bit. If, if, if it's a case where he is right on schedule, if not ahead of schedule, the fact that he's not able to go prove that uh, in a medical test maybe, maybe hurts him a little bit. There is just so much uncertainty when it comes to Tua. And, and so I think for teams, I think it gets a little mysterious. It's going to be very mysterious for a lot of these teams with a lot of different prospects going forward. The not even being able to really go see these guys in person, relying on video chats, interviews for these guys to get them in there. And I know the combine took place, but but for guys like Tua who, who weren't really there to go ahead and and, and showcase their thing, their their skills on the field, it's gonna be it's gonna be a little bit of a, of a crapshoot for these teams. And so I'm I'm real curious to see how willing teams are to maneuver. How willing teams are to to reach a little bit for some of these prospects, and and you can argue that hey, who goes where with Tua? Right? I mean, you're you're hearing some of the the chatter that that maybe teams are going to be more inclined to go with a safer safer pick. There there are those out there who think that Justin Herbert could go ahead of Tua just because people are more comfortable with what he presents from a health standpoint and and a durability standpoint. I don't know if that's the case. I mean, you also got people trying to talk you into Jordan Love over Justin Herbert for the the number three pick. So this could go any which way. And I, I, I all of that is a bit of a smoke screen. Some of it's hogwash. Some of it's true. Uh, and that's what I think makes this draft so fascinating is you've got the usual variables, the usual unknown, the usual Shibai, if you will, that comes with with draft and, and teams <laughs> trying to trying to uh, lead you on, lead you down one direction and throw things out in the media. But then you go. And everything's everything's magnified exponentially because nobody can get these guys in for medicals. Nobody can get these guys in for one on one face to face meetings as we get closer and closer. You can't hold pro days and things of that nature, really. So I think that aspect of it, um, I think teams are going to be lobbing a lot of darts trying to land on some surprise picks here. 
I mean, how exciting would that be, though, come draft day, if there is a team that emerges that's outside of the top five, outside of the top ten even? Uh, maybe it's a team that is known for making certain maneuvers like a New England Patriots team, even though they're not necessarily known for making moves into that top position. Uh, they are known to be pretty shrewd come draft day. Uh, and how exciting would that be if suddenly they become a player in this, in, in sort of the, the Tua sweepstakes, uh, if you will. We'll keep an eye on that. Obviously, we'll also keep an eye on uh, former University of Hawaii quarterback Cole McDonald, uh, hoping to be selected as well. But we move on. Another major headline here. This just happened here, uh, and that is Khabib Nurmagomedov saying that he is not going to break quarantine. He is back home in Russia. His fight with Tony Ferguson scheduled to take place this month in UFC 249, uh, perhaps uh, we're being ambitious, just hoping there is an event at all. But, you know, Dana White, he uh, <laughs> he will sometimes scoff at uh, some of the outer regulations and limitations that attempt to be placed on him. Uh, but uh, it looks like that fight is off. And so this will now mark the fifth time, Jordan, <laughs> that Khabib versus Ferguson is something that was scheduled and then gets canceled. And interestingly enough, I think the same thing happened on April mm -hmm. Fool's 2018. April 1st, 2018. April 1st, 2020. This fight uh, gets canceled. I'm still hoping somebody jumps on social media and says, you know, April Fool's, we'll see you later this month. But Ferguson is saying that because of this, because Habib basically backing out, he is calling for Nurmagomedov to be stripped of his UFC lightweight title. Do you think he has grounds to make that demand? No, I don't think so. I think if you're, if you're going to want the crown that way, or at least see the champ stripped in that sense, I think it's kind of tough, right? I know Dana White has been defiant, uh, and, and I think uh, a little nonsensical in some of his insistences on getting some of these cards off and continuing. I was kind of curious to see where the heck they were going to hold this thing. Uh, if it was going to be like they still don't have a, they still don't have a location. Yeah, if it was going to be in like you know Siberia or something like that, like who was going <laughs> to let him hold this fight? Right there, there are pockets around the world that are still kind of burying their heads in the sand and. And, and holding sporting events, but uh, I, I just I, I don't understand the insistence on continuing to put these fights on. And I know this fight has just been absolutely cursed. I feel bad for anybody who got excited about this one because it, it really seemed like at the very least it was going to get postponed. Uh, I think we've come to learn our lesson that if they put these two guys on a card, don't believe it until they actually get in the octagon together. I, I did find that tidbit to be hilarious that this is the second time in three years that on April Fool's Day. Uh, the fight was called off between Ferguson and, and Ermaga Madoff, but I, I, I just can't see you stripping a guy, uh, especially when his country has kind of put themselves on quarantine. It's like, what, what, what are you, what are, what are we expecting here? We're just expecting these guys to, to go against government orders and, and go against the, the societal pressures and, and, and whatnot. And, and, uh, we're asking a lot of people to abide by. And then just because they're, they're going to go fight for a UFC title, uh, it's okay. Uh, I just think it's uh, it's a little out of touch with what's going on right now, and and I don't think that Khabib should be should be stripped of his belt just because of this. Yeah, I'm with you. In fact, I, I'm I'm a little concerned about the narrative that is taking place here. Dana White's been awfully quiet uh, here so far in the aftermath mm -hmm. of this announcement. Um, and of course, as mentioned, he is known to be defiant, uh, and so he. Uh, has not said much, at least to this point, at the time of, of our recording this. 
Um, but I am a little worried about that because what are the odds of this event taking place anyway? They're, they don't have a site for it. They don't have a location. And so Khabib Nurmagomedov becomes the absolute scapegoat for why this fight, once again, is not taking place. This, to me, isn't uh, a Manny Pacquiao, Floyd Mayweather situation where, you know, they just never got on the same page until both were pretty late in their prime years, if not past their prime years, when we finally got that fight. Uh, this was a different situation. They've tried to schedule this thing. Both fighters have previously agreed a multitude of times to get this thing done and make this fight happen. And what a fight it would be. Nurmagomedov still undefeated. Uh, and Ferguson, who hasn't lost since 2012, I think he's won 12 straight. And so, yeah, this is the fight everybody wants, but just seems to be snake bitten. And I think under these circumstances, Nurmagomedov's going to get all the blame. And he is likely to be, you already see it across social media platforms. He is getting ridiculed by people who just, you know, obviously we're hungry for content. We're hungry for some form of entertainment. And so Nurmagomedov and Ferguson would be pretty epic for sure. And so he's getting ridiculed. And you're right about the message. He's just doing what all governments are, in essence, telling their citizens to do right now, not to break quarantine. And so I feel like that's a bit unfair. Uh, and certainly the UFC, uh, which may not be the happiest with Khabib to this point because he hasn't fought in a long time. Uh, maybe they're, they're not loving how he has conducted himself as the champion. Uh, and so maybe there is some friction there between the organization and Nurmagomedov and his team. Uh, but they sure are letting him sort of hang out on a limb by himself. Uh, alone on an island here under these circumstances. Yeah, I'm with you. And and the silence from Dana White kind of leads me to believe that he's still working. Like he's still trying to make something happen and and find somebody maybe to to fight for an interim belt or something like that. Like somebody to fill in and take on Ferguson. I don't know. It, it just kind of leads me to believe that that he is still doing what Dana White does and that is looking for a fight. All right, well, let's uh, get to our main story, our prime focus here. Uh, and that was the ruling that was issued by the NCAA. They made it official. It had already been uh, suggested. It had already been something that was approved and proposed. Uh, and the NCAA made it official by saying that they are going to extend eligibility for spring sports athletes among all their members across the country. Uh, and so it is now apparently going to be incumbent on the institutions themselves to come up with a plan as to what exactly that's going to look like. What the NCAA is officially opening the door for, though, is for seniors in spring sports only. And we'll get to this. This does not at the moment include winter sports like basketball. But for spring sports only, seniors can come back and they will not have their eligibility hurt in any way. They'll be able to repeat their senior seasons in essence. Uh, or restart them, at least in essence. Um, they will not be able to get a greater level of scholarship from the institution. It has to be equal or less. Uh, and they're going to extend the amount of scholarships for these sports, because obviously you have, uh, in most cases, an incoming freshman class that's going to add to the roster. Uh, but it's going to be incumbent on the institutions themselves to conjure up uh, a method as to what this is going to look like. The NCAA says they're not going to penalize uh, schools and programs if they decide to give juniors a chance to repeat as juniors next year or for sophomores and freshmen to even maintain that same status in terms of their eligibility clock 
next season, but that's not a hard rule. Schools don't have to necessarily abide by that. And so this creates some logistical issues because obviously it costs money, right? It costs money in terms of board, books, adding a member to the roster and transportation and all of that stuff, resources. And so if the NCAA is not in essence footing the bill for this, uh, it is on the institutions themselves to come up with the plan as to how this is going to look. And so the University of Hawaii is now uh, basically on the clock to try to come up with something like that. They did have a program-wide conference call with all of their head coaches just the other day to discuss what this is going to look like. But your thoughts generally on the overall decision that we kind of knew was coming, uh, but the NCAA making it official just this past week. Yeah, I, I think it actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, we don't often compliment the NCAA, but uh, I think in this case, I'm, I'm on board. I, I think for the spring sports in particular, it makes a ton of sense. Mo- a lot of these spring sports weren't even halfway through their seasons. Barely anybody, I think, uh, just looking at it from a University of Hawaii perspective, um, in their spring sports had gotten into conference play. Uh, so we're talking about a sizable chunk that was just canceled for these spring sports. So I, I think just the decision on a surface level makes a ton of sense. But I, I agree with you when you start digging into the details, and that's where it gets a little complicated. Um, there are some complex repercussions and, you know, for, for the leagues, I mean, uh, I should say for the NCAA to leave it up to the schools. I get that. I understand that. I'm a little surprised that we maybe haven't seen conferences come out and say, Hey, we're going to do this uniformly. Um, whether the big West conference wants to do that for their spring sports, uh, we'll await to see. Uh, but I think it would make a lot of sense to have a little more uniformity, uh, on, on that end because you're talking about institutions having to fund these additional scholarships, as you pointed out. How does this affect roster composition for coaches and how they deal with some of those complexities? And these are things they can figure out, no doubt about that, but it does add a little bit of a layer to that. How does it affect incoming freshmen's decision, right? You know, with, with these freshmen coming in, do they look at a program differently because, hey, all of a sudden, you know, X amount of seniors are coming back. They were starters. I was thinking I was coming in and I was going to play. Maybe X, you know, big state isn't quite the school for me anymore. I'm going to go to Tech U or something like that because, hey, that's a better opportunity for me to go play, as you pointed out, for some of these schools as well with lesser resources or, or more resources on a different level. Do Are we going to run it back for everybody? Is it just going to be seniors? Because at that point, right, I mean, for a junior, he basically gets three full seasons where the, the seniors were going to get three full seasons had they not enacted this rule, right? And so the, you kind of cost a year of eligibility for some of the, the younger athletes as well. So I, I think that's an interesting decision to make for each institution because this isn't just a 2021 rollover. Uh, I think there are repercussions uh, for at least the next three, four years for some of these schools based on how they choose to handle this. Yeah, because it's going to come to a head at some point. You can't just add scholarships unless the NCAA is going to say, hey, we're going to add scholarships permanently in all of these spring programs, right? At some point, you're going to say, all right, we need you to get back down to what the previous standard was. But how do you do that? You have incoming freshmen. And so you're going to have these extra scholarship spots on the roster in your program. And so is it a situation where the following year you can't, if you're trying to get back to normal numbers, you can't offer any scholarships? Uh, what does that do to those proceeding recruiting classes? What, what does that do? What does that look like? And, and so this thing, you know, to, to normalize it once again, 
uh, is going to be an issue. Uh, I, I think the institutions themselves, again, are, are being asked to conjure up that plan. And so uh, is it going to be a situation of, all right, you have, you know, X number of years to basically get back to the standard scholarship limit that we had previously uh, for these programs? And then it's a matter of the institutions themselves saying, all right, well, we're only going to give out two scholarships total each of the sequential years here until we get back under the number. It's, it's just, it is a proper and appropriate decision by the NCAA. And I am extremely happy that they did make that decision because it means a lot to a lot of athletes and a lot of individuals, right? Who, who count on this, not just for their access to a higher education, but count on this for life changing and in some cases, life defining types of moments and lessons, right? Uh, and I know that we uh, here in Hawaii uh, are very excited at the prospects of, hey, maybe we get a chance to run it back with basically the same group for the UH men's volleyball program or for mm -hmm. the baseball team that had gone off uh, to an 11 win start to the season and took three or four off of Oregon. Uh, in the case of men's volleyball, you got Colton Cowell from Maui, who is contemplating and probably has some options to play professionally, uh, whether it's beach volleyball or whether it's somewhere internationally. Rado Patapunov, who certainly is going to make big dollars uh, playing volleyball somewhere uh, across the globe. Uh, but you have an opportunity now for these guys to come back. And this was a team that had its sights set on winning a national championship. So it's it's great for the athletes. It's great for the fans. But it is, frankly, kind of a logistical nightmare and perhaps no more so than as it pertains to baseball, right? Mm -hmm. Because baseball is the collegiate program that is unlike any other because they have to deal with the draft. Their recruiting is conditional, right? Their recruiting is, all right, we're going to recruit the best possible players that we can, knowing that there is a chance they never step foot on this campus because they're going to get drafted and they're going to take up an opportunity uh, to turn pro uh, and, and skip the collegiate process. Uh, and I think what makes this even more interesting is this comes at the time when Major League Baseball is saying that they're shrinking the draft. It's going to be somewhere between five and ten rounds, and there's going to be a limit on free agent contracts. Uh, or at least free agent signing bonuses because Major League Baseball is trying to find a way to cut costs, in essence, for all of its franchises and members. And there's going to be some kind of bottleneck logjam here for college baseball programs, I think, because you're going to have a lot of players who would have otherwise maybe taken the option of going pro that under these circumstances won't. So you're talking about juniors that come back. You're talking about uh, JUCO players that decide to go to Division I uh, schools, or you have incoming freshmen who decide that they're going to actually go to college as opposed to turning pro out of high school. Uh, and what does that do for all of those other players who uh, would have otherwise received a partial scholarship or a preferred walk-on opportunity or even just a chance to make a roster with a prospective college program like this is a game changer i think in baseball in a way that is logistically so much more difficult and complex yeah absolutely just based on the fact that you 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 can throw in the draft component to it as you touched on i will say from from a funding standpoint and, and we'll see how teams choose to treat their schools choose to treat this um in terms of just seniors running it back for every every current player on the roster from a, just a pure funding standpoint, it is a little more favorable in the fact that on the men's side, if you're talking about, especially for the University of Hawaii, right? Baseball, men's volleyball. I think you can throw men's golf in there. Those aren't big scholarship sports. Like there's not a lot of money being mm -hmm. given just in total 
uh, because of Title IX and all kinds of those other things that, that factor in. So if you're talking a, just a pure bottom line dollars and cents, those programs don't eat up nearly as much as even like a basketball program and definitely obviously football, the other high profile men's sports uh, at the University of Hawaii. But just from a pure dollars and cents, if you're looking at budgeting this thing, you know, I, I do think that uh, it does at least offer a little bit of a, a silver lining there where you're not dealing with that. And then the other thing that comes with it, I think, is you talk about a logistical nightmare. The fact that it is the spring sports season makes it about as cumbersome as possible, I think, because you're talking about the sports season that comes all the way at the end of the calendar. I mean, are we talking about allowing students to maybe sit out the fall and then enroll one or, you know, you know, enroll in the spring and, and only take spring classes? If you're talking about a semester program, if you're talking about a trimester type of system, quarter system, a lot of these different schools do it differently. And so are you talking about maybe just coming back for the term in the spring? Are you are you mandating that they have to go to classes in the fall or something like that? You know, we obviously know about the grad transfer program and, and, and students going into graduate programs and things like that. So I think it does make because from a cost saving standpoint, hey, if I only got to pay for one semester of a scholarship, maybe half of a scholarship per person, that's some cost savings as well. And then the other thing that I think we we're going to be faced with here sooner rather than later is a lot of these schools are state institutions. And I don't think budgets are going to be something that there's going to be a lot of discretionary spending to go around when it comes to to asking state legislatures, no matter which way you look, whether it's the University of Hawaii or the University of Texas or something like that. A lot of this income is going to dry up from schools, especially if this goes all the way into football season. We'll, you know, we'll cross our fingers on that. But there, there's going to be a lot of states out there that don't have a lot of money to go fund these programs. And if athletic programs are going to their universities and turn go into the their legislatures or something like that. Hey, we want, you know, we want an extra $500,000 to go ahead and fund these scholarships for these X amount of players going forward. It's like, we may not have that money. So I, I, I mean, the trickle down effect is, I think could potentially be that far reaching. And unfortunately, I don't think there's going to be a lot of money to go around. And so there, there's just so much that goes into this. And, and the fact that it's in the spring makes it a little awkward in that sense as well, or you know, maybe maybe they don't need to go in the fall. We'll just enroll them in a spring class or something like that. There, there are a lot that kind of comes to mind uh, when when trying to figure out the best way through this situation. I agree. I, I think that that's the unique nature of this whole thing is there are very few perfect decisions. In fact, I don't think there are perfect decisions. They're all relatively bad or difficult decisions, whether it's, you know, at a governmental level, uh, the decision to urge people to stay at home or limit travel or, or whatever the other mandates uh, have been. There are all difficult decisions. And this pertains to the sports realm as well, because the NCAA is making, I think, what everyone agrees is the appropriate and fair decision. But at the same time, logistically, they're asking institutions and programs and obviously this is going to impact mid-majors at a far greater level than it does some of the big money schools uh you're asking them to dip further into their resources while at the same time the ncaa is saying we're not going to provide you with as much in terms of financial resource because the ncaa last week announced that they're going to be slashing revenue distribution to member schools for 2020 because they didn't have the cash cow that is March Madness in the men's NCAA basketball tournament that ran. Uh, and so they're going to be squeezing on that side. Institutions are going to be squeezing on their side. Uh, it's kind of a double negative from that standpoint. And so it's, it's one of those things where there is just no really good decision. They're all difficult decisions. They're all difficult or bad plans, uh, but they're the best under the circumstances. I think that's the, the, the strange 
thing about this is uh, it is just one of those very peculiar situations where the NCAA is doing the right thing. Uh, and at the same time, they're going to be making life very hard for all of their members. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. And I, I think that kind of bleeds into the conversation about the winter sports, right? In basketball and whatnot, but it's difficult. No doubt about it. Um, and I think trying to make the best of the uh, pretty terrible situation for these senior athletes, uh, I think, uh, all in all, a good decision by the NCAA for these spring sport athletes. Do you think athletes. that the NCAA should have extended this ruling for winter sports athletes, uh, winter sports such as basketball? We just mentioned we didn't have March Madness. We didn't get to see the NCAA tournament uh, on the men's or women's side, as well as other uh, winter postseason tournaments. Uh, do you think the NCAA should have extended this ruling to include winter athletes as well. Yeah, I feel like I'm in the small minority here. You, you talk about missing the the NCAA tournament, some of the conference tournaments. That's really all we missed in the basketball season. And, and I know some of these other winter sports you can talk about, whether it's hockey um, and, and some of these other more high-profile sports in the winter sports season. I'm okay with it, actually. And, and I'm usually not one, especially when it's costing you know student-athletes potential games and things like that. But for all the logistical reasons that we just got into, you're going to multiply that, you know, times two at the very least if you're going to involve winter sport athletes. I mean, how did we reconcile the fact that there were quite a few teams, you know, just using basketball as an example that had their seasons finished already? I mean, they were, they were pow. Um, you know, every conference had finished the regular season. The only thing, and, and I get it, it is a very big thing that were canceled were, were 100% postseason games. The tournament's a huge one, obviously. That's 68 teams on the men's side, 64 on the women's side. You can bring in the NIT and, and some of these other tournaments if you want to extrapolate that out just a little bit more. But but granting an entire extra season is tough because it for a lot of teams, you know, even for the University of Hawaii men's basketball team, you know, they were guaranteed one more game, one more game for those seniors. You know, is it just those who hadn't finished yet, even the ones who were guaranteed just one more game? Is it for everyone, even those who had turned in their jerseys already because their season had finished. It's tough and it's an impossible decision. And, and I'm going to sound like the Grinch. So I, I'll stop now. Uh, hear that senior members of the Rainbow Wahine <laughs> basketball team, as well as the HPU women's basketball team finally get themselves in a position to host an 18 regional. Do you hear I that? Know. Jordan Helley hates you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's the screen grab, right? When we, pr when we promote this podcast, like that's going to be the one that grabs all the clicks. Um, <laughs> I mean, I feel for those kids. I, I really do. I just, if you're looking at it from an administrative standpoint, and look, if you had told me that they had granted all those players an extra year of eligibility, I wouldn't be mad. I really wouldn't. I, I'd, I'd go watch the games. I'd go cheer on Eddie Stansbury and Delisa Tongo and that, and that HPU team. How, how magical would that have been? I, I wouldn't be mad at all. All right. No, fair enough. And, and I, it logistically, again, you know, I hate to, to use that term, but that's so pertinent here under these circumstances. Um, I do understand what you're saying. I'm selfish because I wanted to watch the NCAA men's basketball tournament because that's my favorite thing in the world. And, uh, and so, yeah, you know, I would love to see, uh, some form of, all right, let's run it back. But that you're right. That's not realistic. And there was a strong number of teams that had finished up their season, frankly, anyway. Uh, and so there would be an inequity, if you will, there, there, there wouldn't be a congruency between, uh, giving those winter athletes an extra season versus spring sports athletes who had, you know, either gone not even halfway or, or barely cracked into uh, their senior campaigns. Uh, all right. Well, we were talking about things that um, have been shut down, right? And the NCAA 
tournament on the basketball side being one of them that I have a true affinity for. Uh, so let's ask here as we uh, go down the home stretch, uh, what do you miss the most about sports? What is affecting you most right now in the absence of sports, aside, of course, from being employed in sports broadcasting? <laughs> well, that's what I had written down. It's actually my number one. Uh <laughs> the fact that we're out of work at this yeah, point? Yeah, yeah, that kind of stinks. Yeah, non-essential sports broadcasters right over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's us. Um, I, I think the thing that I miss most, especially this time of year, right, is the basketball. It's the hoops. March Madness, as you pointed out. I mean, absolutely, I miss that. And kind of every – you find yourself missing a little bit of everything, right? Some of the, the silly NIT games or, or some of the NBA games on a, on a Tuesday night or something like that, that it's on NBA TV. Um, you know, I, I think it's the rhythm of sports. Like we, we're, we're so, hey, maybe because we work in the industry, but I think for a lot of fans out there and, and folks that, you know, if we're lucky enough, actually tune into this podcast, it, so much of your, your daily routine is built around sports. Like, you know, what time the games come on, the national televised college games or the NBA games. Um, you know, when your, your baseball team is playing and, and you may be following along, whether you're streaming the games, you're listening to the games you know, following on the game cast at work or something like that. Like it's, it's built in. And then the sports calendar throughout the year, like March is March madness. It's the tournament. We know about that. And then all of a sudden it's April and, and you get the masters and it, it feels like spring in a lot of places around the country. And that leads right into the NBA playoffs and the postseason that takes you all the way through June. And then it's, then it's a lot of baseball and all of a sudden it's the fall and it's football. And so we're just, I think, so much of our lives in, in societally uh, is built around the sports calendar. And we're just so used to that rhythm leading you through the seasons, both, you know, outside climate wise, as well as, as just kind of getting through your year. Um, and that's all been kind of gone haywire. Like the clocks are, are spinning backwards or something like that. Um, it's, it's, I, I find myself missing, missing the cadence and the rhythm of everything. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, mean, to me, the biggest absence is, and this was supposed to take place here in these past couple of weekends, is the waking up first thing on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday morning, and for there to be NCAA tournament hoops on, right? And it's like here in Hawaii, when the first game is like at 6 30 or 7 in the morning, and it's like, all right, we're already, we're already in it. Like we already have a game on. I'm going to roll out of bed and I'm going to turn on the TV and we got hoops, man. Significant college hoops and, uh, and, and just, you know, being perched up in front of the TV and watching that all day. And you're right. It's, it's sort of one thing feeds into the next and the overall rhythm of sports. But if I had to choose one thing, that's it. It's just that high quality hoops on TV all day. Those are days that my wife just does not want to have any part of me uh, because she knows I am going to be absolutely uh, just enveloped in this. And so uh, that's the thing that I miss the most. I just I miss that excitement. Uh, I miss that comfort. Uh, this is the first year of my life, as it is for so many, that that has not been there. That's tough. And, and those are those are some of the things uh, that uh, certainly we are missing and jonesing for uh, here at this time. Uh, and I also feel bad for the gamblers. What are they gambling on right now? Like, what's their life like? Whew. Yeah, they're um, video games, uh, things of that nature, I think. I, I, I really don't know. I really don't know. Guys are maybe saving a lot of money at this point. But yeah, the fact that there is no sports betting right after a lot of places had legalized it. There may be a little correlation here. Who knows? Um, <laughs> from higher powers. 
but yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. I think, I think they've just kind of gone on hiatus. There are some, there are some leagues out there. I, 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 I was about to read an article. I didn't get to it earlier today. Uh, but there was like the, some Swedish amateur league was still playing and a team had, had, had gotten a lot of flack from gamblers because they, they had sought them out. Um, and so we're, we're talking Swedish amateur soccer leagues, um, apparently is, is where a lot of the dark money has gone. <laughs> yeah. That and underground chicken fights. Let's be honest with ourselves. Those yeah, are that's still true. taking place somewhere. Hopefully they're washing their hands and keeping an appropriate level of social distancing from each other. All right. Uh, it's time to come up clutch here. Michael Jordan, MJ coming up clutch again. ABC and ESPN officially announcing that the premiere of The Last Dance 10-part documentary series moved up from later this summer to premiere on April 19th. And what they're basically going to do is they're going to be showing two episodes per week. How excited are you about this? And how cool is it that even in documentary form, MJ's still coming up clutch? He never disappoints, right? Michael Jordan. Uh, I am stoked, absolutely pumped. This was going to be cool after the NBA finals. And now that we're starved, uh, for entertainment during the quarantine era, uh, this is absolutely what we have wanted and what we've needed. And, uh, pretty cool. I think by ABC ESPN to move this up to April, uh, as it appears that it's going to be a little while till we get back to the normalcy of sports. Uh, the trailer that ESPN's Twitter account tweeted out yesterday with the Bulls intro music. Um, I don't know if we're ever going to get like an actual producer or a board operator at any point in our show or po- podcast history. Uh, but it'd be pretty fun, uh, to, uh, to overlay that intro music on this segment, uh, of the podcast here. But, uh, that's with like the trailer. Oh man. Oh man. Chicken skin, excitement, all of the above. Uh, I'm in. I am in. It's Michael. It's the Bulls. It's going to be, it's going to be, and it's access, I think, that we really haven't gotten to see. Um, and some stories, I think, that, uh, we'll, we'll enjoy seeing. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm all about it. Mike is the goat. Uh, his winning ESPN's goat college basketball player bracket, though, was complete hogwash because that clearly should have been Lou Alcinder. I mean, come on. Uh, Lou Alcinder lost a shack. In an earlier round of that, it was v- fan voted. So obviously, uh, that's flawed. But, uh, other than that, MJ, uh, you deserve everything that has come your way. All right, let's uh, finish things off here. The best and the worst. Best thing you've seen in sports the last couple of weeks since we've been off, Jordan, and the worst thing you've seen in sports. Uh, one of the best things that I have seen, uh, and, and I'd read some of the headlines and then saw them again today on Anderson Cooper's show, uh, is Stefan Marbury. That's right, Starberry, uh, who has been uh, playing in China for a long, long time. I don't even know if he's still – what is he, a coach, a part owner – whatever he is now in Beijing, uh, has become a legend there. They've built statues of Starberry in China, uh, and he's he's pledging to send 10 million and 95 masks from China over to the States to help out with our response uh, to COVID-19. Uh, if you had told me that we'd be here, obviously everything is just flipped on its head, but that Stefan Marbury um, would one be on Anderson Cooper's show for any reason, uh, at any point uh, in his post-basketball playing career and um, playing the role of uh, patron saint coming over with uh, 10 million masks for the folks here in, in the United States is just just mind-boggling. But uh, kudos to Stefan, man. Starberry, my guy, coming in, coming in clutch. 
Yeah, never more of a star than he is under these circumstances, uh, that's for sure. All right, my best uh, thing that I've seen the last couple of weeks, uh, kind of along the same lines, Russell Wilson and Ciara, uh, they pledged to donate one million meals to a Seattle food bank. One million meals, man. That is obviously at a time like this where so many people are hurting. That's incredible, so kudos to them. Um, Russell Wilson uh, continues to uh, abide by his pristine reputation. All right, worst thing you've seen in sports the last couple of weeks. Two things kind of dovetailing off our topics earlier in the show. Uh, the Belarus, Belarusian Premier League soccer team or soccer league is still playing. I don't know what they're doing. Uh, so that's just been terrible. Uh, they've been catching a lot of flack from, from every which way, but uh, the president there seems to be very adamant that they're going to keep playing sports. Uh, and then the other thing from a, a less serious, a less serious, uh, worst thing I've seen all week has been some of these results on these Twitter polls. Because in no universe should Shaq have beaten Lou Alcindor. Do people not realize that's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Uh, maybe not. Do they not realize? Maybe not. You know, is that, that's part of the problem. Because some of these Twitter polls, and, and that's been the rage, right? We're going to create a bracket. We're going to have a vote on Twitter. It's great content. I get it. But some of the results just lead me to really question my faith in humanity. Like the, uh, the ringers doing a best TV characters of all time. And that's a whole other tangent that I'm not going to go on right now. But some of these results, and some of these seedings even on some of these results, um, what are we doing? Worst thing I've seen uh, in sports the last couple of weeks, i got to be honest, man. I know there are some fans out there, but the L.A. Rams' new logo, did you see this thing? It was a bit underwhelming. Not only that, uh, but they may have stolen it from Angelo State University. Like There were some people that took to Twitter that compared the two logos, and I don't know if uh, you have ability to look it up in front of you, Jordan, but if you compare the two logos, the new L.A. Rams logo and ASU, Angelo State University in California, uh, it is strikingly similar. Um, and man, the LA Rams, I think they whiffed on this one so much so that Eric Dickerson is even taking it up as a cause right now. Yeah. Usually these schools steal the logos from some upper level teams, right? Whether it's like Georgia rocking the green Bay G, uh, we might have a lawsuit on our hands. <laughs> like all that market research and they couldn't figure out that Angelo stayed at the same logo or they did figure it out and they were like, that's a good logo. How about we just, uh. Rip that off. Angelo, Angelo State, man. This it looks, what, I mean, it's the same thing. I don't know, man. I don't know. LA Ram. Um, hey, man, this was fun. First uh, podcast uh, in the books. Uh, anybody that's uh, listening, if you want to hit us up on Twitter with any questions or ideas for the show, topics you want us to hit on, you can hit me up at Kanoa Leahy uh, or at Jordan Helly. Uh, looking forward to episode two, Jordan. Yeah, this we've we'll, got to do this again. Uh, I'm uh, also just going crazy sitting around at home, so this was this was good for my mental health. <laughs> <laughs>